Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is the first of our Gospels, which tells us of the life of Jesus. We're reading the first 11 verses of the fourth chapter. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone." Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Our second reading is from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 14. Hebrews is a letter that tells God's people... That Jesus is the great go-between, between between man and God. Hebrews 2 from 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then flick forward one more page, and we're in Hebrews 4, this time starting at 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. And we welcome Pastor Jack back up to bring us God's word now. Thank you, James. And uh, by the way, my apologies, our aircon doesn't seem to be working. Uh, oh, no, Sean's got it going. Thank you, Sean. Hopefully we'll feel the uh, beautiful effects of it soon. He must have uh, hit it with a hammer or something and got it out of its slumber. My friends, I, uh, I think that, um, that all of us here can, uh, can relate to that experience of anticipating something unpleasant. There's times in life when we know that we're going to go through some kind of discomfort or suffering or pain and it consumes us and it churns us up inside. For example, some of us may have a fear of needles and knowing that one is needed can cause you great anxiety. Some have a fear of public speaking and so being asked to give a speech is not a happy experience. Some have a fear of crowds and social situations and so the invitation to a party can actually fill you with trepidation. Or it could be a looming court case or a stressful meeting with the boss or a painful operation that's coming up for our young people, it could be an upcoming test or exam. For our women, it could be the expectation of going into labour and giving birth. For our elders, it could be an upcoming visit to address a difficult situation in the church. <clears throat> Whatever the circumstances, I'm sure we all know what it's like when you're anticipating something difficult or distressing that lies ahead. But I'm sure we also know that when you're in that situation, you'll do whatever you can in order to avoid it. When the teacher says, we're going to cancel that upcoming test, I don't know many students who would make a fuss. When the dentist said, well, we can actually put you under full anaesthetic, I don't know too many patients who would say no. When the lawyer says, well, we can appeal your sentence, I don't know many people who wouldn't take up that opportunity. But if you can relate to this, then you can also begin to relate to the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ. For while he was born into this world a human baby, understanding only what babies can, just imagine what it was like as he grew and as he began to comprehend what lay ahead for him. Imagine what it was like as it dawned on him that his very purpose was to suffer and to die. As a young boy, he would have learned the scriptures, including Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. The day would have come when young Jesus realised that these words were speaking about him. And the anticipation only increased. Matthew chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Or Luke chapter 18, Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And so if we know what it's like to spend a short time anticipating an uncomfortable event, then just try to imagine what it was like for Jesus to spend his entire life anticipating the most horrific emotional distress, the most intense physical suffering, and on top of all that, the unspeakable wrath of God. And so like us, he must have wondered, in fact, he must have agonised over whether there was any other way, any way to avoid what awaited. But my friends, that's exactly what lies at the heart of the third temptation in the wilderness. In the last two weeks, we've seen his temptation to turn stones into bread and to jump down from the pinnacle of the temple. But now we reach the climax of this passage in Matthew 4 verses 8 to 11. And we're told again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. Obviously, there was some miraculous element to this display because there is no mountain from which you can see the entire world. But yet somehow the devil laid it before him. Luke says he showed them to him in an instant. But then verse 9, All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, this raises an interesting question. Are all the kingdoms of this world in Satan's possession? Are they his to give away as he pleases? Well, in Luke's account, the devil says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. But is that really true? Well, yes, it is. In John chapter 12... In chapter 14 and again in chapter 16, Jesus himself describes the devil as the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's referred to as the God of this age. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. 1 John chapter 5 explains that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Then in Revelation chapter 12, he's described as that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. 
And Revelation 13 says he's the dragon who gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. But then you might be wondering, why on earth did the Lord give Satan possession of this world? And the answer is that he didn't. But we did. When humanity turned from their creator and embraced the devil's lies, we ourselves gave him authority over us. And this continues today, doesn't it? Whenever a gunman commits mass murder, they give Satan control in this world. Whenever a pedophile abuses a child, they give Satan control in this world. Whenever a scammer robs a pensioner of their savings, they give Satan control in this world. My friends, whenever anyone worships a false god or a false religion or a false idol, they give Satan control in this world. And my friends, whenever we ourselves fall into gossip or lies, selfishness or arrogance, lust or drunkenness, anger or bitterness, greed or jealousy, or whatever it might be, we too give Satan control in this world. As Jesus said to his opponents in John chapter 8, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. In 1 John chapter 3, we're told the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. My friends, it wasn't the Lord who made him prince of this world and God of this age, but it was us. But now here we find Satan standing on the mountaintop, offering it all to Jesus. But isn't this a bit strange? I mean, Jesus already knew that, that one day all of these kingdoms would be his. In the messianic words of Psalm 2, it says, He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And in Matthew 25, Jesus himself says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him. You see, my friends, the, the kingdoms of this world, they were always going to belong to Jesus Christ. For that was God's overarching plan and the whole point of his coming. Jesus came into this world to defeat the devil once and for all, to solve the long-standing problem of human sin and to redeem a people for himself. But of course, the way he would do that was through his perfect life and his sacrificial death. It was only as he bore the punishment of man and the wrath of God that he could win that victory and inaugurate this glorious and eternal kingdom of God. But therein lies the temptation. For as Jesus anticipated that immeasurable suffering, the devil offers him a way out. He says, I can give you all of these kingdoms in all of their splendor, and I can do it in a way that will avoid all that pain. Do it my way, and you'll avoid the betrayal and the denial 
the whips and the spit, the mocking and the nakedness and the shame. My way avoids the nails and the suffocation and the agony. My way avoids the forsakenness of God and the anguish of hell and the pain of death. And I think this must have been the most intense temptation that any person has ever, ever experienced in this world. For all Jesus needed to do was to bow down and worship the devil. All Jesus needed to do was to ignore his father's will, believe Satan's lies, give in to the temptation and fall into sin. All he needed to do, my friends, was exactly the same thing that we do every day of our lives. For then he would indeed possess and rule all the kingdoms of earth, but not as a victorious king who had purchased the souls of men by his own suffering, but rather as the devil's puppet, the chief of sinners, who put himself first, rejected his calling, and led all of us to eternal damnation. But perhaps you might be wondering, how could this even be a temptation when the outcome in the end was so bad? Well, if that's what you're wondering, then maybe you're not familiar with how temptation works. For it always looks good on the surface, but it brings nothing but trouble and misery in the end. But that doesn't stop us, does it? That's why we give in to the law of adultery, either in heart or in body, even though we know that it ruins our marriages and our own spiritual well-being. That's why we give in to the law of pride, even though we know it isolates us from others and the Lord in the end. That's why we give in to the law of materialism, even though we know that it enslaves us and it pulls us away from the things that really matter. That's why we give in to the law of addiction, even though we know how it ruins our lives. It's why we give in to the law of bitterness and criticism, even though we know that it makes everything worse. Temptation is about short-term gain, but long-term pain. But yet we fall for it. And so the temptation was also very real for Jesus to avoid the impending agony, but to still gain the kingdoms of the world. And all he had to do was bow down to the devil. But but praise God, my friends, praise God that he never did. Praise God that he never put his own well-being before the greater plan. Praise God that he didn't do what we in our own strength would have done. For verse 10 tells us, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If those first words sound familiar, it's because they're a lot like what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16. Do you remember how Peter tried to convince him not to travel that road of suffering? And Jesus replied, Get behind me, Satan! You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It was the very same response to the very same temptation. 
And if the rest of the verse sounds familiar, it's because Jesus is again quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, that same passage that we read together last week. Jesus uses the truth of God's Word to fight the devil's lies. And so we see that yet again when he was faced with a severe enticement into sin, our Lord did not weaken, he did not fail, but he stood firm and he obeyed his Father to the end. And how thankful we should be. For my friends, this was essential to his work of redemption. In theology, we sometimes speak about his passive obedience and his active obedience. Jesus needed to passively bear the punishment in himself that our sins deserved, being bruised for our iniquities. But he also needed to actively obey his Father's commands, keeping every law, resisting every temptation. And only by doing both was he able to rescue us from the fate that we deserve and make us righteous in God's sight. But now there's one final aspect of this that I want us to consider today. And that is that because Jesus completely experienced and perfectly resisted every enticement into sin, that he can now help us in our own temptation. And that brings us to those readings from Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, we were reminded, first of all, about our salvation. It said, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, He may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. But then there's a further implication in verse 18, because there it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And we see something similar in chapter 4. We're reminded first of all of Jesus, our high priest, who saves those who believe. But then listen to verses 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our friends, our Lord resisted every temptation in order to save us. But now that he has saved us, he also helps us when we face the devil's attack. And how does he do that? Well, we see it in his example. You see, in Matthew 4, we see how Jesus himself resisted doing what we couldn't, obeying on our behalf. But yet these verses also provide a model that we can follow. So what do we see? Well, first of all, we see Jesus resisting the devil without hesitation. And how important that is. You see, our problem is that we like to dabble in temptation. 
We like to see how far we can go with it. We like to enjoy the enticement as much as we can. And because we do that, we set ourselves up to fail. But Jesus never entered the devil's trap. He never entertained the thought of wrongdoing. But on each and every occasion, he refused immediately and comprehensively. And as a result, the devil left him. But shouldn't we be doing the same? James chapter 4, after, after warning us about friendship with the world, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. But I do wonder, does this describe your life? Or are you actually dancing with the devil, dabbling in temptation more than you should? I think you know what I'm talking about, don't you? But let me tell you, it's when you start down that slippery slope that you soon slide right away and before you know it, you are far away from God. And tragically, we see it far too often, even in this church. And so I want to urge you, if this describes you, then think about this very carefully. Consider the model of Jesus. Don't entertain the enticement. Resist the devil. Say no to his schemes, and then you will stay close to the Lord. But the second thing we see is Jesus resisting the devil in the strength of the Holy Spirit. In the previous chapter, it was the Spirit who descended on him like a dove. In this chapter, it was the Spirit who led him into the wilderness. Jesus didn't go there alone. He was guided and empowered by the Spirit of God. But are we? Perhaps you are trying to face temptations all on your own in your own wisdom, your own strength, your own willpower. Well, that's a recipe for disaster, my friends. In Hebrews, we're told that Jesus understands the things we go through. He empathises with our weakness and he wants to help us in our time of need. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, If you think you are standing firm... Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. We can't do it alone. And so if we're serious about this, then we need to be much in prayer, my friends. We need to ask the Lord to, to fill us with his Holy Spirit and equip us for this fight. We must walk in step with the Spirit, following his lead and not always pulling in the opposite way. As we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. But the third thing that we see is Jesus resisting the devil 
under the guidance of God's word. For on all three occasions, that's exactly how he responds, isn't it? Quoting the word of God, quoting the book of Deuteronomy. And how important, my friends, that is today. Because we're living in an age where more and more so-called Christians think that they can figure out God's will all for themselves. The Bible's increasingly ignored while people set their own rules and their own standards. And in the end, they do exactly what we're warned about in Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But we can do it too, can't we? We start determining God's will for ourselves and in the end we can, we can justify all sorts of sins. God understands my need for pornography. God understands that I need to put money before him. God understands that I have better things to do on Sunday. God understands that I don't have gifts in evangelism. And so we go on when we ignore the word of God. My friends, if we genuinely want to resist temptation, then we need to be people of the word. For only then will we truly understand his will. Be able to distinguish right from wrong and be able to stay on the right track. So there's three things we learn from Jesus' example. Resist the devil without hesitation. Resist the devil in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Resist the devil under the guidance of God's Word. And as we do, we will increasingly experience what true freedom really is. But my friends, even though we can fight sin genuinely. This side of heaven, we will never fight it perfectly. We're still going to face temptation and we're still going to fail. And sometimes we will fail in the most terrible and shameful of ways. But my friends, when we do, we will be driven back to our Lord. He will embrace us in his loving and compassionate arms And he will tell us, I understand, I've been there too, I forgive you, I restore you, and I will strengthen you to go on. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, my friends, may we truly know that Jesus went into that wilderness for us, to win the victory over temptation and may we truly know that because he did we really can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Our dear Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks with all of our hearts for Jesus Christ, that even though he knew the suffering that lay ahead of him, that even though he was presented with an easy way out, that he stood firm and that he did not bow down to the devil. Lord, thank you that he did that for us. 
But Lord, may we also learn from him. Lord, help us not to dabble in temptation, but to resist it without hesitation. Lord, help us not to try to do this on our own, but to seek the strengthening of your Holy Spirit. Father, help us not to be confused by the world's perverted standards, but to always be guided by your perfect word. And Lord, when we fail, help us to run back to the cross where we will find forgiveness, full and free. Lord, please hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.